Welcome to Run Your Mouth. I'm your host, David Melly. This week's guest is Dominic Scott Afford, a two-time Olympian who trains with the Team Boss Group in Boulder, Colorado. Dom turned heads earlier this month with her 67.32 half at Houston Half Marathon and only her second attempt at the distance, the number two all-time mark by a South African. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, and we got into a lot of great topics, so I will keep this short. We talked about Tokyo, Rio, her racing plans for 2022, how she got into running in the first place, her family's history with running, and specifically the Comrades Marathon in South Africa, and her thoughts on the pressures of social media, the selection process for the South African Worlds team, and much, much more. Enjoy the episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review everywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, wherever it is. We really appreciate the support. And until next time, this has been Run Your Mouth. Yeah, welcome to Run Your Mouth, Long Run Talk for Long Talking Runs. I'm your host, David Melly, uh, and I'm here uh, with, a, with a great guest, Dom Scott from Team Boss, uh, fresh off. You've got the Olympic necklace and everything. So. Yeah. <laughs> it was a How's gift from my coach, Joe. Uh, yeah, I'm doing oh, well. Thank nice. you. It was a, co- a gift from Joe. It's very, very special. Um, you know, it's always weird going to the Olympics and you feel like... Um, even though there are 11,000 athletes in the village, it still feels like everyone around you is winning medals. So I was not going home with a medal on my neck, but then Joe surprised us, um, the four boss girls that had been to the Olympics with these necklaces. So it was a, it was a nice little necklace. Yeah, instead of a medal, we got an Olympic wins necklace. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still, it's, uh, you know, still a good consolation prize. Were you exactly. so- Obviously, with COVID and everything, it's it's got to be even more intense. But I, how much are you able to meet up with the the boss girls from other countries, or do you have to stay with the South African team the whole time? I was, yeah, we actually weren't sure like how it was going to be, um, but we were allowed to see each other as much as we wanted to. Um, so in the village, or I guess the COVID protocols were. Uh, every morning when you woke up, first thing you had to spit into a little spit tube um, and hand it in before 9 a.m. And that was your daily COVID test. And then you had to wear a mask uh, wherever you went outside of your room. Um, in the cafeteria, it was uh, there were a couple of steps that they wanted you to go through. Hand sanitizer, wash your hands, gloves. And then when you sat down, there were like these, I'm sure you, you saw all over social media, but they were like these plastic partitions in between us, like even to the person to your left and right and the person in front of you. Um, it was a little interesting chatting to people through those because you couldn't really hear each other. So you ended up like shouting. Um, but you, yeah, you were allowed to see other people from other countries and other sports, which was really nice. Um, I think I would have, it would have been a lot harder, a lot lonelier, a lot sadder if I hadn't had um, Emma, Corey, and Aisha there to socialize with because, yeah, the Olympics, um, you know, luckily I got to go to Rio and experience that with my family. And it was so special experiencing it with them because it does feel like a team or family effort to get 
to the Olympics um, because it's obviously not just something that's achieved, you know, overnight or in a day. Um, and the whole family has to kind of be on board with that goal for years and years and years. Um, so yeah, I felt lucky, honestly, that I got to have that experience with my family in Rio because a lot of um, first timers in Tokyo, you know, they didn't get to have that experience. So yeah, I was very glad that I had the team boss girls around me in Tokyo. Going going into the second one, did it feel, you know, obviously it feels so different just because of all the COVID protocols and everything, but did you feel just personally more, you know, I got this, I, I, I'm ready <laughs> because I've done this before, or was it still just as sort of overwhelming as the first time? Um, no, yeah, I definitely felt like more prepared. The first one, I just come off my collegiate season 2016, had just graduated uh, from running for the Arkansas Racebacks. I had done one pro race, which everyone always laughs at this. My first pro race was the Monaco Diamond League. Very <laughs> spoiled to have had that as my first race. And then my second pro race was the Olympic 10,000 meter finals in um, Rio. And I remember feeling pretty overwhelmed going into that race. I felt like all of a sudden, I had neighbors and friends who had never really been too interested in my athletics career. All of a sudden, they were like, we know someone going to the Olympics. You're going to win. And I was like, no, I'm not going to win. Like, <laughs> I'm just really excited to be going and like living out a, a childhood dream. And so I felt a little bit overwhelmed from like this external uh, eyes on me all of a sudden. Um, but when I got to the village, it was you know, it felt like, oh, this is just another meet. And like, I know these people, I've raced against them before. I saw a lot of the NCAA Americans in the cafeteria, which was really nice. Um, so it felt like, you know, I'd seen those people around. Um, and I had my parents and my family and my husband's family there. So that was, that was a comforting feeling. Um, I will say that in the race, I'd been told by a couple of like mentors, they were like the 10,000, it's a championship race. It's not going to go out hard. You'll be able to like sit in there and, you know, kind of like be a part of it. And then with five Ks to go, they're going to start racing and you're just going to have to like dig deep and hang on. And that was the opposite. It was, you know, <laughs> strung out single file from the first 200 meters and we were all running for our life. Um, so that was, that was kind of funny. Um, but I gained a ton of experience and I ran a personal best. So I was really happy. And then going into Tokyo, you know, five years later, I felt like now I've raced on the international circuit for five years. I know what I'm doing. I know these faces. I know how they race. My PR is, um, I don't know, it was like quite a bit quicker, like 30 seconds quicker. I was like, I have five more years of training under me. I'm a lot stronger. So I was really excited um, and felt like I was here to compete this time rather than just like participate and kind of like um, live out the dream of being an Olympian. Um, but I skipped one very important part going to Tokyo and that was some heat training. I definitely think that's um, what affected me in the long run. I posted on social media that I felt like I was the fittest I'd ever been and I still believe that. I just wasn't able to show it in, in the 5k or the 10k. Um, I mean obviously everyone saw the heat was brutal, the humidity was brutal and I hope that my previous time in Arkansas was going to help me, but it is, I guess it had been too long since I'd lived in Arkansas. So anyway, answering your question, definitely felt more the second time around, like, okay, I'm here to compete. Um, 
more yeah but I then ended up feeling like I wasn't competing on the track I was just trying to finish the races when so uh, obviously the 10k is so it's like so brutal <laughs> um, I I've never actually run a track 10k um, and I don't have like a huge desire to <laughs> but going do you feel like going up now you know dabbling in the half at least first of all which is harder the track 10k or the half marathon definitely the track 10k <laughs> which I so I ran my first half marathon um in the um great north 10k in i'm like totally blanking great north 10k in newcastle in the uk right after my track season at the end of this past year in 2021 i hadn't done any half marathon training but my coach and i felt like i was still fit hadn't really used my fitness in tokyo so we're like what other races are left on the schedule um we found a 5k in brussels and then there was this half marathon a week later and we're like well i'm already in europe i might as well just jump in the half marathon and molly seidel raced it too and i went up to her at breakfast the morning before the race and was like i don't know what i'm doing like do we feel during this race like how long do you warm up before like i didn't know what i was doing and she just told me she said the track 10 k is so much harder than the half marathon like you're gonna be okay and if molly ever listens to this podcast thank you molly that was so comforting and i really appreciated her saying that and now having run two half marathons i totally agree it's just i mean obviously there are people that are gonna say that the 10k is easier the track 10k is easier but i definitely feel like for my body and my strengths um running slightly below i guess that like breaking point i can do that for a long time but yeah the 10k on the track is pretty brutal for me and now that uh now that team boss is slowly becoming adding its adding its stable of marathoners do you feel the peer pressure to to shift to the longer distances or are you sticking to the track um no i'm definitely like this is the start of dumb uh like stepping into the longer stuff when i joined team boss um lo hard long runs are one of their staple workouts like whether it's once a week or every 10 days um which i had never done at my time in arkansas under lance harder um our long runs were kind of like roll out of bed on a saturday morning like maybe had a cup of coffee maybe was like under fueled um and we we're just like going run 12 to 14 miles depending on how old you were and i always enjoyed it um it always like felt great i loved the long run but it was never like an actual workout in the week and then when i joined joe's group the long run like i said it's hard like either it's steady the whole way or there's like a 10 mile push in the middle and as soon as I joined the group, that was one of the workouts that I was able to do. Um, and Emma and Aisha at the time were kind of not surprised, but they were like, wow, like this took us a little bit of time to get used to. They're like, you know, it's really cool that you're good at this stuff. So there were those hints from the girls and from Joe, like, hey, like we think you might be good at this longer stuff. But I, I don't know how you feel that I had this it's wrong that I had this connotation that the longer distances are not as cool as the shorter distances, <laughs> which is so wrong that I, I know where it stems from. Um, I mean, one, as a kid growing up and 
doing track and field, I was always told like, once you go up, you can't go down, you know, so try and do the shorter stuff as long as you can. And um, then at Arkansas, everyone wanted to be on the DMR. Like that was the cool thing. You're like, obviously the four by four is cool too, but as distance kids didn't have a chance there. So it's a DMR. Um, and I guess coming from like a powerhouse like Arkansas, if you were on the DMR, you were probably going to be an all American and maybe even a national champion. So it was pretty cool. Um, but my freshman year, I'm giving a lot of information now. My freshman year, um, we were on our way to our first outdoor meet of the year, the Stanford invite. And I was entered in the 5K, but because I'd had like a pretty average, <laughs> I'm being nice, average indoor season, I didn't have a good 5K time. So I was seated in one of the morning heats and my coach Lance Harder was like, came up to me on the plane actually and was like, hey, this is the heat you're in, but it's not great. Like, I think you're fitter than this, but we, d I don't have any proof to get you into a faster heat. So he was like, what? Oh, he actually went and sat down and he was like, I'll think about it. I'll come back. He came back later. It's like a four hour flight from Arkansas, Arkansas to San Francisco. And he was like, um, so I don't think I'm going to be able to persuade them to put you into an evening heat of the 5K. But what about the 10K? <laughs> he was like, there's only one heat, so they can't put you in a slow heat. And I looked at him with like huge eyes. And my first thought was, I don't have racing flats because at the time, like no one wore uh, spikes in the 10K. And I got yelled at a little bit, like, why didn't you bring flats? And he was like, okay, it's okay. When we get off the plane, we'll go to the Nike store and uh, buy you a pair of flats and you'll race the 10K. So I was terrified. The next night I was going to be racing at 10K, twice the distance I thought I was running and didn't think I'd train for a 10K, um, but got out there and I guess kind of felt like I was in my element and in, was enjoying it. And I just remember with like a lap or two laps to go. Um, my husband now, boyfriend at the time, Cameron was yelling at me and saying um, like, if you run, like you're gonna break 30, I think 34 minutes. Like <laughs> I can't even remember because the number's so like silly now. Um, but I ran a time that like was going to qualify for, qualify me for regionals as a freshman. And um, my team was all excited because they were like, you're the 10K girl now. Like if you do it, we don't have to do it. Like tag your it. And so it was really exciting. It was like, wow, like I did something as a freshman. Like this is great. But I also got the feeling like it's not really cool to run the 10K. So because of that, I was really motivated to work on my turnover and try and prove myself, prove to myself, my coach, my teammates that I could also run the shoulder stuff and um, hopefully one day run the mile in the DMR. So I guess I have always known that I was going to do the longer stuff. I've just really dra dragged my feet um, around it and just, yeah, I wanted to run the shoulder stuff as long as possible. Well, it sounds like you made the 10K cool. So now you have the homework to, to make the roads cool, making distance cool I hope again. so. <laughs> I hope so. I'll, I'll share one more story. So I had never watched a major marathon before I went to Chicago this fall and got to watch Emma. Um, and that was a big reason why I went to watch her. It was obviously to support her. I knew her training had been going really well, but two was just to see a major marathon for the first time. And yeah, after watching Emma do, do, do what she did, uh, placing second and doing it with a smile on her face. I was like, this is pretty freaking cool. Like I can't, I can't like, you know, gr uh, have a grudge against the longer stuff. So.
Well, it's, I, you know, between Emma and Molly and then, you know, obviously Kira and Sarah too. It's a pretty cool, I feel like all the cool people are in the long distance right now. So. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I'm not putting myself in that category, but uh, no, it's, it's definitely a good time to be a, a female roadrunner. That's for sure. And then even, I mean, I always think, uh, you know, this weekend was a good example of, um, Alicia Monson running U.S. Cross and then coming back and running the 3K. There's this myth that so you, cool. you can't bounce between, you know, surfaces is clearly, uh, you know, needs dispelling. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. That was that was cool. There were some amazing races last night that whenever an athlete, Ellie as well as Alicia, when they can just get to the front and just grind out a win, I'm always so impressed by that. So impressed. Yeah. When I was, did, um, so obviously Arkansas, huge, um, indoor tradition. And mm -hmm. I think, um, you won a NCAAs at home, right? One, one year I was trying to remember. Yeah, the, I did. Yeah. Yeah, I did. 20, uh, 2015. Yeah. So do you have a favorite between cross indoor and outdoor? Do you have a favorite season or at least when you were in college? Yeah. I mean, obviously now outdoor is more cool. Um, but yeah, indoors was really special at Arkansas. I mean, yeah, there was just, we had this amazing facility. We hosted so many meets. We hosted NCAAs my sophomore year. I was the alternate for the DMR, um, but I watched, I, I'm pretty sure uh, my husband ran the DMR that year and I'm pretty sure the men won nationals. And then two years later we hosted again and we won. I anchored the DMR to a win. I won the 3K. Cameron proposed so it was all very special <laughs> um so I definitely while at Arkansas indoors was my favorite season yeah did he propose right at the finish line or right after uh not quite but yeah I just got off the podium and I guess it wasn't planned but he had the ring in his car um and like my family had flown in from South Africa oh. I had some family from North Carolina and then just like neighbors and friends and stuff because we were in Arkansas had come out to watch so yeah I got off the podium and then he proposed so it's very sweet <laughs> that's a, yeah it's good timing for sure yeah um, I always liked you know because uh, you know obviously not on the same scale uh and civil wise but uh, my team in college you know one of the things I always liked about Arkansas was you have a real strong distance and sprints and field program yeah you know, it's, I feel like it, that feels like a real team, you know, having yeah, somebody, yeah. you know, across all the events um, to, to root for, which is obviously, and then obviously with the national team too, you know, South Africa is like all over <laughs> the spectrum. <laughs> yeah, in terms no, of... <laughs> it, was, it was cool to be at Arkansas because yeah, exactly. Like you said, it, I mean, there was a little bit of pressure because it felt like, Hey, like the sprinters and the jumpers are going to do their part. So you need to step up too. Um, but yeah, it definitely felt like, you know, the distance team didn't have to carry the entire team. Like we knew that there were going to be points coming from everywhere. And what was pretty cool about the 2015 indoor, uh, national title team title one, it was the Arkansas women's first title which now they've won I think like six or seven since then um but it was also the Arkansas women's first title for like any sporting code at Arkansas any female oh, team cool. so that was really cool and every girl that was on the indoor team scored a point so like there was not a single girl that didn't contribute to that 2015 win so that was really cool oh I like that a lot yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, we ask this sometimes, if you could pick a field event to do, 
uh, instead of the track, which would you pick? Um, this is kind of like a shallow answer, but I think I would do the long jump because I've always thought that I thought it's really cool. I know the rules are changing all the time with the jumps, but I think it's really cool that you get three chances. And I think it's cool that like you can just like it's Tara, Tara, I'm scared I'm pronouncing Tara her name Davis. correctly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you can like have some personality and like you can have your nails done and like your hair, you don't even need to tie up your hair and um, just kind of like have fun with it. Whereas I feel like in the distance events, it's like, I don't know, for me, it's like high pony and streamlined and no jewelry because I don't want anything, you know, weighing me down. <laughs> um, and yeah, and you definitely don't get three chances. So <laughs> I've always the long jump look kind of cool. Yeah, I can. I like the long jump too. And especially when, you know, at some of these, you know, the Diamond League meets, I don't know how much you get to, to watch when you're not competing, but, you know, it's just so cool to watch the, you know, the back and forth when there's like two or three really good people yeah. in the race, in the event, and they're just going like the sixth round is always so dramatic and intense, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. It's, it definitely can be very exciting. I will add one more thing for the long jump, but this is kind of for any of the jumps. I always get a little envious in the diamond leagues that they get to come out onto the track so early before or so long before their event because they get to like go out there, take it in, chill, like chat with their coach and just kind of like embrace it all. Whereas with the distance events, you know, there's like this curtain up and we're hiding back there and then we have to run out, hear all the screaming and then try and lower our heart rate and race all within like two or three minutes. So I've also always thought that was really cool to, with the field events. Did, did racing so much on the international scene change your, um, uh, I guess your attitude about um, warmups? Cause I have to imagine there's like all sorts of barriers for, uh, you know, doing your thing on your own schedule and pace. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Rio was probably the biggest like adjustment that I've ever had to make to a warm-up schedule. For Rio, it was it was honestly crazy. They called us to the first call room 50 minutes before the start of our race. And like we were just like sitting in this little, it was almost like a like a trailer, I don't know, like an outdoor trailer. And then they moved us from that into this into, I guess, like the final call room. And luckily there was a place that we could do some strides. This was like underneath the track or underneath the stadium um but yeah 50 minutes before the start of your race you already needed to be finished with your with like your jog and your drills and um and all of that so yeah it's definitely taught me to be flexible I would say while I was at Arkansas I was pretty like type a about things like I just had my little routine and you know, I knew what worked and I didn't need to be flexible. Um, I will also say I was pretty spoiled racing at Arkansas so often, like actually racing at our tracks. I knew all the officials. So like if I needed to run off to the bathroom three minutes before the race, they would be like, go, 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 you know, and I would jump onto the track before the race. I was very spoiled. Um, but yeah, obviously that doesn't happen at these inter international meets. Um and then I would say that's another reason why I like the roads because that first road race that I ran at the end of last year, the, the Great North Half Marathon, I thought it was so cool how chilled the pre-race environment was. It was like, you just have to get yourself onto the start line, you know, two minutes before the race, before we blow the gun or uh, start the gun. Um, 
that it wasn't like the stress. I, I'm sure a lot of athletes would not say that it's stressful. Check in, I, get your hip number, yeah, and have to, yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I think it's stressful. Like, um, I don't, I don't think I do very well in those environments, but yeah, it always seems kind of stressful to me where when like 30 minutes before the start of your race, you're just like meant to be, yeah, I don't know, shaking so, out and standing there. At the risk of, you know, disclosing top secret information, are you, are you doing more roads this spring or are you uh, just buckling down before the track season? No, no, that's, it's not secret information at all. Um, yeah, I'm going to run more on the road. So I'm excited. Um, the plan is I'm obviously very fortunate running for South Africa. I don't have as much competition um, to get onto the national teams. So I already have my 10K qualifier for Eugene. Um, so I'm going to go home in April to run the championships and hopefully that will put me on the team. There shouldn't be a reason why I then shouldn't be on the team. But yeah, so the the idea is that I'll now race for 10k on the track and then outside of that just focus on the roads um so I'm gonna race the 10 which is the sound running 10k the 5th of March um just because I don't need that Eugene qualifier but it also seems like it's too good of an opportunity not to race it it was so fast last year um I had actually had my first bone injury last year during it it was um I had a stress reaction in my tibia and I remember pulling it up on the TV and my husband was like, are you sure you want to watch this? And I was like, yes, I want to watch it. And watching Elise and um, Ailish and a couple of other girls run so fast. It was so inspiring. So definitely want to um, try and stick my nose in that race this year. And then, um, and then I'll run a couple of road races um, before Eugene. So yeah, so that's kind of the plan is like, run some 10Ks on the track and yeah, run more and more road races as we continue going forwards. This is probably not a uh, this year anytime soon, but um, given given your home, uh, your home country, have you thought about one day running Comrades? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, but I feel <laughs> like I wouldn't even be considered a runner in South Africa if I don't. <laughs> it's funny, like, that just running the comrades is so big in South Africa that yeah I could tell someone that I've run you know a 67 32 half marathon they wouldn't care but if I run that the comrades they would think that's really cool um but yeah so my mom was a pretty good ultra marathon runner back in her day um I think she was she was top 10 three times at the comrades um, and between her and my dad, they've probably run like 15 comrades, um, and a bunch of the two oceans ultra marathon as well, which is in Cape town, which is where I'm from. So I know I'll have to do those two one day, the comrades and the two oceans, but it definitely won't be anytime soon. The family legacy of nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Even if I can just like put my, my medal next to my parents. <laughs> So were they still, were they still running it when you, you know, when you were little, like, did you go watch them and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't really remember it because I was so young that my mom would definitely still run like marathons on the weekends. And my sister and I would like be in some strange officials car <laughs> waiting for my mom to finish. Um, and yeah, so definitely grew up in that type of um, runners household um and yeah my mom was definitely on like the tail end of her career when my sister and I were around but 
Um, but yeah, my mom is was a teacher. She's now the head of sport at an all-girls school. Um, but yeah, when she was a teacher, she'd get up super early to do her training. Um, she had like a couple of small local sponsors in South Africa. Um, but yeah, I was definitely raised in a running household. So when you were little, was this, were you like, I want to be a pro runner just like my mom? Or was it like this is a crazy thing she did? Was it always on the radar or? That's actually a really good question. I've never thought about that. Um, no, I don't think I wanted to. I think I just thought <laughs> my, it was like what my mom did. Um, I was never like even intrigued by it. <laughs> um, I thought it was, you know, I, I knew she was like good at what she did. and. It was fun when like she would come home with like a rose for us or something that she'd been given when she crossed the finish line. Um, but yeah, I, th I think more, I just thought like that's what my mom did. Um, my mom was also the cross country coach at the school I went to. So that's how I got into running, but she never asked me to join the team. She never asked me to come to practice or anything like that. It was actually that on Friday afternoon were the cross country races during the winter. And so on Friday afternoons, I'd have to go with her to the races and would just like be hanging out waiting and was always super bored and was probably pretty bratty towards my mom. Like, <laughs> when do we get to go home? And, you know, one Friday she was like, if you're so bored, like, why don't you just run? And I thought that was like the strangest suggestion. But the following week I did. And I always tell people I put like, a whole lot of candy in my pocket and just like started at the back of the race and was walking and eating my candy. <laughs> but at the end of the race, they would give you this little, um, like every week the race organizer would do this. They would just like write, if it was super fancy school, they'd probably print it, but they would print out the numbers. And when you cross the finish line, you would get your little square piece of cardboard with your number on it. And I can't remember the first place I got, but you know, whatever it was like 75th or something, I was like, oh my gosh, like next week I want to see a lower number. And so that was kind of what got me into the sport and encouraged me. And uh, yeah, every week there were kind of less pieces of candy in my pocket. And I wanted to see that number on that piece of cardboard be lower. We, uh, we had popsicle sticks at some high school. Oh, no. It's like, I think it was more so they could um, keep track of the scoring you know they'd like cross right. the line and they're yeah. like hold on to your popsicle stick yeah <laughs> yeah I like that I like the popsicle stick so were there little numbers on the stick yeah so you didn't get yeah. to keep them because you had to like give them yeah. back so they could write give down back, the score yeah. but um yeah. yeah no that was that was always you know silly high school cross-country races with like no real timing and like <laughs> yeah. it's a 5k but it also might be 2.9 miles <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. I know actually when I came to the States, I thought it was so wild that people knew what their cross-country times were because I had never known. Um, like I really, I don't think ever, like, yeah, just like you said, the distances were arbitrary and it was just like who crosses the finish line first. Uh, I still think it's kind of arbitrary when uh, my husband's parents and my in-laws are cross-country and track coaches in Arkansas. And sometimes like they'll tell me kids, uh, cross country times. So I'm like, means nothing to me. Like, <laughs> like, were they running around the track? Was it, you know, a, a golf course? Was it up the side of a mountain? You know, right, right. It's, it can be so many different things. So, we're, so obviously coming from South Africa and, and your husband's family from Arkansas, that's got to be a. Uh, I'm sure you've gotten this question many times before, but what was the biggest American culture shock when you came here? 
I think I think the thing that like was the hardest for me was the accent which is a little sad to admit but um I guess it wasn't that's not a culture shock so it's not really answering your question but like that was the thing that was the hardest for me was just everyone was constantly pointing out that I spoke differently to them so I mean yeah my freshman year was insane like you know I would be getting my textbooks and the cashier who was just like being super nice would be like oh my gosh, I love your accent. Where are you from? Like, why are you here? Like, oh my gosh, that's so far. And it was just like these constant reminders that I wasn't from there. And I was so far away from home that was really hard. Um, So that wasn't like culture shock. Um, But I guess like, but in a way it is. (laughs) Well, especially going somewhere like Fayetteville versus you know, New York, there's so many people from all over that different accents probably stand out as much, you know. Very, very true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And no one asks me anymore because now I just have like this twang of. I was going to say, when you you go home, does everyone make fun of you for having such an Americanized accent now? (laughs) Um, They don't make fun of me, but like definitely people are like, yeah. Oh, this, this is, this is a good explanation. Um, last time I was home, we were out for dinner. It was like right before I was flying back to the States and I went over to a table to ask him to take a picture of me with my family. And they were like, Oh, where are you from? And I was so offended. I was like, I'm from here. I'm from here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you dare ask me where I'm from. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Well, I, cause, um, I, I love South African accents. I think they're quite lovely. Um, and it makes me sad because, uh, like my favorite South Africa, second favorite after you, obviously my second favorite (laughs) South African, Charlize Theron, she like, doesn't have the accent anymore because she's been in the States for so long. It's like completely gone. Yeah. (laughs) No, it, it is sad. It's something that I really regret. Like as a freshman, I was so conscious. It felt like I was speaking a different language. I don't know if you've ever like learned a different language where you almost think about what you're saying before you say it. And then you like translate it as you're going. And I was doing that my freshman year. It was like, you know, I would ask, I would have sat down at a restaurant table and if they'd like brought us water, I would have said, can we please have a jug of, I would say a jug of water. And they would be like, what? And then Cameron would be like, oh, she wants a pitcher of water. And so then it just started like, I knew people weren't going to understand me. So I would change that sentence in my head. And then I would know I have to say (laughs) a pitcher of water. (laughs) It's like hard for me. Um, So yeah, I was so conscious. And I wish now, 10 years later, um, that I hadn't done that because it made me me and you know I am from South Africa so I wish I hadn't tried to fit in that much um but yeah here we are (laughs) you live and you learn um yeah yeah and I think we're all a lot more self-confident uh when we're not freshmen in college (laughs) that's very true that's very true yeah just trying to fit in and was scared that coach Harder was gonna send me home because I wasn't good enough like oh no you're not worthy of this uh full ride we've given you what did we think (laughs) well before actually one more South Africa question because I honestly I don't I follow the sport pretty closely and I struggle understanding it. So I would guess that probably the listeners do too. Yeah. The Federation has a complicated, they have a process for selecting people to send to world championships. And it's, 
I know there's been drama in the past with like who does or doesn't get sent. Like, can you explain yeah. to the to the listeners sort of how that works and why it's kind of controversial? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, I guess I'll start by saying, like, pointing out two facts. Like, one in South Africa, we're a much smaller country than the U.S., so we obviously don't have as many athletes, as many bodies. Um, because of that, we don't have as many athletes that are running qualifying standards. So for example, the 5K and the 10K, I've actually been the only girl to run the standard the past, I don't know, I mean, like probably like 10 years, like since I've been in the States. So you take that, then you also take another fact that South Africa doesn't have the financial means like a team like the U.S. does, like USA track and field. So South Africa, um, so it becomes tricky because at the national championships, they want you there, but they're, you know, very diluted compared to like a U.S. trials or U.S. champs. Um, You know, I can go and run the 5K and possibly win it in like 17 minutes. Um, Okay, so you have that. (laughs) Then you have um, the selection criteria and they're like, well, we don't actually have enough money to take everyone who's qualified, even though they may only be 30 people. So then they start looking at like, well, who do we think are gonna make finals? Who do we think are gonna make medals? And that's been the problem in the past where I don't feel like it's right to only send athletes that are already performing at a metal caliber because, I mean, we all know that you need the experience um, and also that they can only be one winner in a race, um, but you still need other athletes and other bodies. Um, and just like, you know, the exposure of South African athletes competing in these meets. So, yeah, so I, in 2017, was one of the unfortunate few that qualified for the world championships in London. I'd only just qualified. I hadn't run super fast. I'd run, I think, like a 15-19 or 15-20, and the qualifying standard that year was 15-22. And South Africa decided to keep me off that squad, which I was heartbroken about because it was my first summer as a pro my coach and I had kind of structured my whole season around racing London hadn't run all that much and then get told like a week before you're not on the team and there are also like no other races for a month um so that was that was pretty heartbreaking and then because I wasn't on that team they then didn't put me on the commonwealth team the following year even though I'd run fast enough So yeah, so it's not black and white like the US team. I understand why it's not black and white because they don't actually have um, enough athletes qualifying to make their trials and make their championship races, uh, you know, as black and white as the US is. The first three that cross the line are going because they might not even have three people that have run or jumped or thrown the qualifying standard. But yeah, it's, it's all a little bit iffy. They are trying really hard to um, just get it to a more fair and equal playing field where everyone knows what the rules is and everyone knows, you know, how you make the teams. Um, but yeah, but for those few reasons, it's always been a little, a little iffy. Yeah, that's, I mean, obviously it's kind of one of those, it's hard to come up with, you know, what's the solution that magically fixes, you know, all problems, yeah. but 
I mean, at least just off the top of my head, I would imagine, you know, there's got to be some way for sort of, um, you know, a little more equity among federations. You know, obviously yeah. there's going to be a, federations of really wealthy countries that can send as many folks as they want. And, um, you know, I don't know whether it's like everybody, there's like some sort of like balancing, everybody pays into a fund or something, but it is, it is tough. Like, I know it's a big issue in Canada too, where they, they will send folks, um, who have like they won't send folks who have the standards to worlds yeah um because yeah. internally they have stricter standards and yeah 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 south yeah. africa's had that in the past too they didn't have it for tokyo which thank goodness because the tokyo standards were already so hard but in i guess that was actually london i forgot about that they had a harder standard they had like the a standard and the b standard and i think if you had hit the if i'd hit the a standard in the 5k let's say it was 15, 10, I can't remember, I would have gone. But because I had only run the their B standard, I think it was then up to their, um, you know, their choice whether I got to go or not. Yeah. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, you know, especially to, you know, in terms of looking at the outside world and how we bring folks into track, it's complicated enough with oh my you know, goodness. The, yeah. the ranking system and, you know, oh. that's a whole mess. And that yeah. exists for a reason, but it's also complicated. And, you know, you would, yeah. ideally you want there to be a system where you can say, you know, I qualified for worlds and that just means right. something once you run the time, you know? Yeah, for, yeah sure, for sure. That's gotta be. Yeah. That's, that's so true. That's so true. Yeah. Sport is very complicated to, <laughs> to follow. That's why I really appreciate what City of Smag is doing, making it oh, more accessible yeah. and more fun to follow. Last night was super cool um following I thought I mean first the Milrose I thought the coverage on TV was really good and then Chris and Kyle and Matt going live was when I once once I finally found it I am gonna <laughs> I struggled to find it for a bit um but when I found it it was it was really fun to watch and I I know it's just gonna get better and better but it um I'm, I'm happy for like the the youth the up-and-comers that I wish this had you know been done a couple of years ago yeah. Well, you know, what makes me so, you know, last night, the, the post show was such a great example where all you got to do is have, you know, the sport, we know the sport is so full of fun people and personalities yeah. and it shouldn't be hard to just stick them in front of a camera and have them be, you know, funny and entertaining and, uh, you know, and everyone appreciates it when they are. So it doesn't feel on, on some level, you feel like it's obvious to be like, have a post show where the athletes just chat yeah. and hang out, yeah. you know, but it's and but have it, fun. You know. yeah, yeah, for sure. I feel like there's a lot of pressure on us professional athletes to like do that for ourselves on our own social media. And I mean, I can only talk personally, but I really do try, but it's also hard. Like it honestly sucks to like be in a workout and then I'm worried about like getting content from the workout you know so that I've made a post this week like even on Friday evening Emma Bates and I had 2k repeats and some of our training partners got done before us because our workout was took forever it was so long and so I asked one of them I was like hey will you grab a video like during our last rep and obviously they don't mind doing that but it's just like I feel like the athletes are really trying it's not the athletes fault like we need, you know, a lot of teams have brands that have stepped up behind them and are doing a great job promoting their athletes' stories, which I think is really cool. Um, and then obviously you have platforms like Sidious Mag that are doing an amazing job. Um, but yeah, I just, I just feel like it's really hard as an athlete and I don't think we, sh 
really should have to worry about that while we're also trying to like be the best athletes we can. Um, but yeah, what do you, what do you you're, you're preaching to the choir because one of the <laughs> things I've always said is, I mean, obviously your team's a little different because folks have different brand sponsors, um, yeah. but especially teams where there's one, um, you know, shoe sponsor that sponsors the whole team. It just seems like such a no brainer to just pay, you know, your marketing budgets are so huge, you know, pay yeah. somebody essentially part-time to just shoot your team, have them be your right. sort of content creator. And, you know, there are examples of people doing that, whether it's, you yeah. know, Courtney White with Bowerman or Joe Hale with uh, Tin Man and, and it's really successful, but a lot of times it yeah. comes like from the athletes and the creators themselves. And you feel like right. somebody, you know, in the corporate world has to like, you know, kind of put two and two together and say, Hey, we're spending all this, you know, we're spending all this money to sponsor these athletes. Like let's pay a little extra money to pay someone to, you know, give them really cool content to, you know, advertise, yeah. uh, you know, for us. And it, it seems yeah, like a win-win. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really interesting. And then I'm glad that, you know, the sport is getting more light shone on it and, um, the athletes' stories are getting shared more. I think it's going to change a lot in the next couple of years, um, and it's it's exciting to see. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, at, kind of on that note, actually. So we yeah. we end the episode by asking our uh, guests the same three questions. Um, but the oh, first cool. one is uh, your Instagram crush, um, which doesn't have to be a crush like like you can't say your husband. That's totally cheating. But yeah, 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 yeah. Just yeah. somebody who's uh, you know who's doing a great job on social media or an account that you think is really funny, anything like that. Yeah. What it, what's got your attention these days? Uh, this is like so lame. Um, but okay. So I'm going to give two, right. um, in terms of like a crush, my husband has been buying workout programs from a guy called Marcus Philly for like the past, I don't know, maybe like five or even more years. And I don't follow Marcus for <laughs> I follow Marcus because I really enjoy watching him do these exercises. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually just sent one to my husband. I was like, oh, this exercise looks fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, the fun one that I love following is I love following any of the golf accounts. Like they're just outrageous. Like there's one called, I think it's Zaya Golf, Z-I-R. Yeah, it's called Zaya Golf. And then there's another one called, I think it's Colorado, uh, Colorado Golf Blog. And I follow those not into golf, but they're just like so entertaining about guys going out on the weekend and either like getting drunk or high and playing rounds of golf. <laughs> very funny. So those, those Sounds are like a good fun. off-season activity for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's great. I love that. Um, the next one is your go-to karaoke song. Someone hands you the oh mic goodness. and it's your time to shine. What are you singing? Oh my gosh. Um, I do not do karaoke um, just to protect myself because I know <laughs> I'm not a good singer. It would probably have to be. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something that just like everyone would sing along with. So I'm thinking either like Shania Twain, feel like a woman or like, Miley Cyrus party in the USA. 
both great options that's okay, the, cool. I, I support both of them <laughs> there are some people on our team that are really good singers um joe is actually a really good singer so i guess i just feel a little bit more self-conscious around my team my team is also very honest like any girl that wants to join our team i will just make this a little warning for you our team is very honest so if you join our team and you don't aren't a good singer we will tell you <laughs> So because of that, I'm always a little bit have my guard up when I'm well, I think dancing. Karaoke is less about talent and more about heart, if you ask me. So. Oh, I love that. I love that. I think I'll, if you, if you embrace that. it, uh, you can make it work. Um, and then uh, last but not least, uh, your death row meal. If you have one last meal before mm. you go, what are you going to eat? I'm a bit of a carnivore. It's going to have to be a steak. Just like great choice yeah like a good ribeye and probably like fries and a glass of wine yeah oh that sounds like an excellent an excellent dinner um (laughs) what red or white wine what's your what's your preference red has to be red yeah what about you um I like I like white just normally but with food usually red Red. Um, yeah it just makes makes me very sleepy that's the only problem Mm. So I have yeah, like a glass I, and a I half totally of red agree. wine. I'm like ready for bed at 8 <laughs> 30. <Yeah. laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Uh, well, thanks for having me on the podcast. It's yeah, really thank you. you. This was super fun. Um, congrats again and, and good luck with the, the rest of the spring. Um, thank you. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, can't wait to see what the road career has in store, um, as thank well you. as obviously Eugene. So <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I'm excited. I I think I will be better suited at the roads, um, emotionally and physically, as we were talking about those core room situations. Love it. All right. Well, thanks again. Until next time, this has been Run Your Mouth.